Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, I have the pleasure of Siobhan McHale on today onto the show. Welcome, Siobhan. Great to be here today. No, I'm glad you are. And it's you're all the way from Australia, so you're finishing your day and I'm starting my day. So uh, it's great that we could connect uh, and spend some time here. I just want to tell the audience a little bit about you. You're a, a culture transformer. Uh, you're author of The Insider's Guide to Culture Change, which we'll definitely I want to talk about that as well. You're the Executive General Manager of People, Culture and Change at Dulux Group. And you're a member of Thinkers 50 Radar 2020 as well. So a wonderful background. I also know that you've done lots of change management roles in your career. It seems to be what you're about is about change management, culture change. And so you've got a lot of expertise in that. And the question I always ask uh, my guests when they come to this show is, you know, what do you love about what you do? Yeah, I love um, helping organisations to adapt and to change uh, faster and with less noise. And for me, I've had a career in two halves, Julian. The first half was as a management consultant flying across four continents, helping leaders to create more productive and constructive workplaces. And then I sort of hit the wall and I had a a U-turn in my career and I wanted to roll up my sleeves and actually make change happen. So I joined a series of multinational organisations as the executive in charge of change. So then I had skin in the game. I was the person responsible for uh, working with leaders to make change happen. And uh, I actually love that role. That's been the second part of my career. And it's a role that I really love, uh, helping organisations to adapt and to pivot, uh, particularly in, in times of disruption. Fantastic. And what, what got you into that whole thing of change? I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's a two halves, but it's linked together with this aspect of change, isn't it? Um, what, what, what was it about that that sort of drew you to that? Yeah, in the first part of my career as a management consultant, I was a change specialist and I learned about the theories and uh, what I yearned to do was put those into practice. And most of the, you talked about the book that I've written recently, most of the books that I noticed on the bookshelves were from outsiders. And Mm. of course, the outsider perspective is vital, whether it be from academics or external consultants or from even journalists were writing about the topic of culture and change. But I thought there was something missing and more voices needed to be from those Mm. people inside, those people who were doing change, people Mm. who were actually testing the theories and saying, does that work? So that's really the perspective that I'm uh, bringing, I suppose, that not just an external observer perspective, internal practitioner perspective and and what you learn from 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 that lens on the world so i'm really passionate about not just my role as head of hr at dulux group but also my role as an educator i'm really stepping Mm. into that role as an educator and helping people to understand how do we make change happen 
Yeah, and, and, and that's what I, I've been inviting people on my show, people who are actually doing this stuff as opposed to, and there's nothing wrong with being you know, an observer and, and bringing some value in that sense, but actually you're in it yourself. You're creating the change, you're executing change, you're developing strategies uh, to help organizations. And that's what I, I like. And this, this show is about giving people real, um, whether that's insights or strategies to go away with that you can mm. actually implement and spark some ideas. And, you know, we've, we've had the year of change uh, yeah. in, in, in every capacity in every part of this world because um, of obviously what the pandemic's done. Now change does produce opportunities trying to look at it from a more optimistic point of view, but how do you, manage such and, and it might be even from your own personal experience at the Julux group this year how do you manage such constant change and although you try to change a culture to perhaps grow but also then you've got this massive external force um, creating completely um, polarization in certain aspects in people's personal life as well so how have you managed it from a personal perspective but also from your learnings and from um, what you've written, how would you talk to an audience in terms of helping them through this time right now? Mm, I might tell you a story about a conversation I had recently with an HR manager at a consumer goods company. And he was talking about the fact that uh, he said, Siobhan, we really need to create a more adaptive workplace. We need a more adaptive culture. Um, to to pivot in these extraordinary pandemic times. And I started to explore with them what, well, what's happening. And mm -hmm. it turns out that their push to create a digital offering for consumers was going too slowly. And you might think, well, it's going too slowly because there was a technology issue. But the more we got into the conversation, the more it was clear that it wasn't a technology issue that was causing the, the lack of speed to market. What was actually happening in this organisation was that there was a pattern or a hidden agreement in the organisation that the executives make the decisions around here. And that was an old pattern and that was causing a bottleneck in the organisation. So the executives were in role of decision makers and the other part of the organisation, the middle managers, were in role of waiters, mm -hmm. waiting for the decisions to be made. And this pattern or this hidden agreement was actually running the organisation and slowing everything down. And, of course, it seems obvious when you see it. And he was like, oh, my goodness, seeing that is so clarifying and I can start to work with that cultural issue and mm. point out and name the pattern and name the roles. And when I spoke to him about a week later, he said, it's amazing. It's just sort of shifted everything and we're suddenly free of of that um, constraint that was upon us. And this is what I'm finding, that the patterns that have run you, that may have served you in the past, uh, you may get to these pandemic times and think some of those are no longer serving us mm. and we need to break them. And, and obviously there's that first point of getting sort of the clarity that there is a pattern. And, and it sounds really obvious, but obviously it's not that obvious because you highlighted it and then he realised there was this sort of un unwritten agreement uh, at an exec level that this is how we do things. Um, and so I guess the first thing is, how do you get into a place of recognising them? What does, 
is there some sort of tools or sort of ways of doing that? And then how do you then take, I guess, unpick those patterns and make them fit or change, adapt, whatever, fit for purpose for the new way the business is working or needs to work, I guess you say. Yeah, so it's a great question. And the first thing you've got to do, and I talk about step number one in my four-step approach in the book, is about diagnosing the patterns. And this is often a step that we rush. We rush to solution. Mm. And I'll give you another example from a bank where called ANZ, where I was the head of culture change. And over a seven-year period, we moved that bank from the worst performing bank in the country in terms of customer satisfaction to the number one bank in the country in terms of customer satisfaction, number one bank in the world globally on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index, doubled its profits, tripled its share price and vastly increased um, employee engagement. But the first step in that was walking into the bank and beginning to observe the the, what, what's really going on around here. In in head office, there were, it was a really plush environment. There were, mm. you know, marble pillars stretching up into the Gothic ceilings in the foyer, plush carpets, spacious light-filled offices. Going into the branches a week later, it was a completely different story with threadbare carpets, paint peeling from the walls, you know, queues of customers shuffling around, not getting the service that they needed. And when you looked at the roles of the head office, head office was in role of order giver and the branches were in role of order takers. And the pattern between them was we blame each other for the poor customer service, the poor customer satisfaction. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. So the order givers and the order takers blaming each other. Now, where do you intervene there? You know, because you could say, oh, well, let's just train the people in the branches because it's their fault. But we didn't do that. We reframe the roles with a new operating model and by reframing the roles we got faster change with less noise Mm -hmm. so that's another um, very um, important technique during any type of change is the remarkable power of role reframing and i guess in that in that situation uh, it was almost like a probably a parent-child type relationship which i often have been in organization where they have that sense of you know, the exec is the, the the ones who give the orders out and everybody else sort of runs off and it doesn't create any sense of empowerment, doesn't create any sense of collaboration and innovation, creativity just just goes. Um, okay. And obviously you, you, you did a role reframe. Is there a, a part to play in creating a sense of, I don't suppose, common purpose or making sure that that purpose or that mission, however you want to term it, is a bit more central to everybody so we're all sort of going in the right direction and and then you work out what roles and and how do we do that in the context of customer services which is this situation yes so at the anz bank at the time the ceo recognized that people had lost their sense of meaning the community had lost trust in the bank and in fact bank bashing had become a national sport in australia (laughs) The CEO recognised that and his um, mantra was, we want to create the bank with the human face. 
and that became the mobilizing force within the organization and then one of the values that we created that every person within the 32,000 employees would lead and inspire each other so again during culture change or any type of change you've got to get leaders stepping into their role to lead the change culture change mm -hmm. is leader led so at this time, these pandemic times, it's really looking for what are the big patterns that are running your organization? Mm -hmm. What are the ways of relating that are no longer serving you? So by culture, I just don't mean employee engagement. I think for too long, we've just seen culture through that lens, but looking at what are those ways of operating, those ways of relating, uh, and how are the different parts fueling those sometimes dysfunctional ways? And mm -hmm. how break those ways of operating to to survive and come out of this and thrive into the future because patterns is as part of your central you call it your culture map and mm -hmm. patterns is right at the the heart of that isn't it in terms of how you uh, articulate this uh, culture change and as you say it's bigger than just employee engagement it's it's every aspect of uh, the culture in terms of how the, the fabric the mission the why uh, the sense of um, what we're doing, why we're doing, and the direction. Um, what other aspects? So you've, you've diagnosed, you've started to create some change. Is there any other aspects that you would uh, pull from from your book uh, in terms of that sort of culture map um, um, process that you put in place? Yeah, I think the important thing is the um, distinction between what I call the dancers and the dance. The dancers are the behaviours and often we get, we focus on the behaviours. So we mm. might go into the bank and we might say, oh, the behaviour of the branch staff is the issue. But actually we fail to see the dance. The dance was the pattern of blame that was going round mm. and round, draining the energy from the whole organisation. And invariably I see with HR practitioners and even sometimes with external consultants, they come in and they intervene at the level of the dancers. It's uh, the, They go back into a single root cause rather than seeing the co-created collective dance that the organisation is in. And uh, once you name it, you say, oh, they're the order takers, the, the, you know, the order givers, the order takers, and they're each blaming each other. And people just go, oh, of course, it makes so much sense. But it's a bit like when you're in a dysfunctional family and everybody outside the family looks in on the family and says, gosh, that's so dysfunctional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Within the family, it makes perfect sense. It, it has its own internal logic, but outside you can see it. And it's often the same in organisations. Um, you, you just can't see it when you're caught by it. It just become, that becomes your norm. That becomes your world, isn't it? And, and I know I've, I've joined organisations and suddenly gone, you look, you meet, because immediately you join an organisation, you, 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 you just see it very clearly. Yes. And you think, crumbs, this is not very, it's a bit toxic or whatever it may be you might feel. But other people won't feel that because they've almost got so desensitized to it, I guess. Um, how do you then take, because some of those patterns and some of those are quite challenging um, and to perhaps an exec who get quite precious and they use the phrase of, well, we've always done that, we've been successful and they may well be successful. The fact is they may be either losing staff or 
they're starting to not grow uh, or employment engagement's going down. How do you tackle it in a sense of with that, that leadership? Because ultimately the leadership has got to recognize this from your diagnosis and then put some action in place. And they may be unwilling. And how do you sort of, I guess, to get them to a place where they're a bit more willing? I mean, whether it's from a personal point of view, you've been in an organization or from a consultant's point of view, how, how do you sort of create that place of engagement, I guess, with the leadership? Yeah, and it triggers for me another story um, from an infrastructure company that I worked uh, with, let's call it Build It Pro, just for confidentiality reasons. I was working at Build It Pro and they needed to change to a more commercial and higher performing culture because the environment had changed. They had moved from a soft contract environment to a hard contract environment where they had to bring in the infrastructure project within a, a capped budget, a fixed budget. And within the organisation, what I noticed was this nice guy pattern. So the managers were all the nice guys and they weren't giving performance feedback to employees who had stepped into the role of the underperformers. And... I was dealing with Ben, the CEO, and we were in a meeting and he knew about this passion, but we were in a meeting one day and he said, oh, Siobhan, I'm really frustrated at the moment because I asked the head of marketing, Tim, to put a billboard on the head office roof um, to advertise our services in the local area. But three months later and there's no billboard, I'm really annoyed. And it's just another example of this poor performing culture that we have around here. And I said, oh, I can understand how frustrating this must be. Who, who have you talked to about this delay? And he said, oh, I've talked to the head of finance, I've talked to the head of HR, I've talked to the head of supply chain. I said, okay, but have you have you talked to Tim about it? And I said, oh, no, I haven't, I haven't talked to Tim. No, not yet. And I said, okay, so you've talked to everybody but not Tim. <laughs> and he just went, oh, I'm fueling the pattern. I'm being in the nice guy role. And I went, well, yeah, he had wow. been caught by the pattern, which you say, well, that's madness. How could he be? But Patterns are very tricky. They're very seductive. They capture you. As mm. soon as he saw it, he immediately called Tim up, called him into his office, said, I want the billboard. It has to be installed by the end of the month. And sure mm. enough, it was. But for him, that was when the penny started to drop because patterns are fueled in mm. different parts. And invariably, the leadership team with all the best intentions, may also be fueling the, the pattern that they're trying to break. And I guess it, it takes a little bit of a courage from a leader. I mean, that's an example where you need to talk to somebody and you gave some, almost held the mirror up, <laughs> a realisation, um, which is really helpful. Um, but when you perhaps realise it yourself in your organisation, you, you know the pattern, you see the pattern, and actually you need to sort of change it, break it. It does take a bit of courage because you are, you know, it depends on what role you're in. Even if you're in a senior leadership and you're, but you're not the, the, the top boss as such, you've still got to step out to try and break those patterns, isn't it? And how how would you, I suppose, I guess, give some counsel to somebody who's in that position right now, who they, they're seeing the patterns, they're not very helpful patterns and they need to break them. What sort of advice would you give to them to try and, step out in a way that's still embracing and engaging and and uh, creating that change 
Well, with patterns, it doesn't really matter where you are within the organization. You can break the pattern from anywhere. So I'll give you an example from my own job, my own role as the head of HR at Dulux Mm. Group. When I joined the organization four years ago, I walked in and I thought, oh, we are in role of order taker here. Uh, the head HR it just has evolved into that role of taking the orders. So I held up the mirror to my own team and said, see this role where we just take instructions, we're the note takers, we take it down, we go off reactively, mm. you know, the reactive doers. I said, we, we don't want to be in that role of reactive doers anymore. We want to be strategic business leaders with a deep expertise in people, culture and change. So we didn't really tell anybody that we were going to step into that role and break that pattern of you'll be told what to do around here we just we just did it and four years later people are saying wow that you know we've changed our name as well to people culture and change but they are sort of saying well your team is different you know we've stepped into being leaders being business advisors being um much more commercial Mm -hmm. and the pattern of us just taking orders has stopped because we're ahead of it now we're, we're getting there before anybody can tell us what to do. We've already got a paper developed. We've already got a recommendation. Mm. We've thought about it before anybody else has. So we didn't have to announce it. We just, uh, this is the power of role. Uh, we each have a mental map of our role. And in order to bring about change, you change the mental map, which is, it's almost like a GPS in your car. And yeah. some that GPS can be outdated and can, you know, you're driving along and it's telling you turn to the left and there's no road there because it hasn't been downloaded with the latest information. And in organisations, that's happening all the time. You need to download the the information, the latest information about the map of your role and what's expected. So that's like, that's using the the power of uh, of role modelling and that's just leading by example, isn't it? And we know there is immense power in that because it's more than just the observation or what people see it's people feel things as well they feel values they feel your intentions and everything else and it's i think it, i think it's called bandura's serious uh, i can't remember the guy's name he talked about the whole thing about how it's more than just imitation it's beyond just observing it actually goes deeper in our subconscious and actually yeah. doing that and that's why i talk a lot about leadership about how you've got to you know, be a role model, and um, but actually to break a pattern, you just, as you said, you just realize it's that we need to break it, rewire the map or the, the internal GPS and just do it. And then over time, people then start to observe that you're more strategic, you're more proactive. And then therefore that's, and then you, then you just change the pattern by natural that. And then they don't start telling you because you're almost, you're ahead of the curve with it. So that's, that's powerful actually. And I think it's a, a real lesson that you know, we need to start being a bit more um, leading by example in all that we do. Um, that's really interesting, actually. I like that. And that's that's better than telling people and announcing, as you say, because then people go, yeah, so what? But actually, yeah. if you're seeing it already, then it starts to impact yeah. uh, individuals. Yeah. And sometimes as a leader, you're operating on multiple levels. So you might be role modeling on one level, but on the other level, you're making fine distinctions around role of different parts of your organization mm. so that they can seamlessly work together. So in the case of the ANZ, for example, everybody's leading and inspiring each other. They're doing it from a distinct and different role. Mm. So the 
branches are doing it from the role of service provider to the customer. Mm. Uh, that's their reframe, get out of victim and into service provider. And the head office is doing it from its distinct role, which is support enabler or enabler of, of the branches. So, mm. again, not everybody is stepping over each other. They're, they're clear role mm. boundaries because that's often the cause of noise where you don't have clarity around role and role boundaries or mm. people are operating from an old mental map of their roles. So they're still thinking, well, I'm in the role of decision maker. Well, no, you're not anymore. You're in the role of support provider. Mm. And how do you get that mental map to change as quickly as possible? One of the things we did at the bank was everybody had a day in the branches every six months. You know, All so right. people went to the branch for a day and they stood there while the customers were complaining and they saw the conditions and they started thinking, wow, we need different tools. We need different systems. We need mm. a different way of stepping into our support roles. So as leaders, often we're thinking, how can we change the mental map as quickly as possible that people have because if you if you change the mental map then you change the behaviors automatically it's just like you have a mental map map of a, a partner or a husband mm -hmm. then you might be a father your mental map changes then you might be a boss your mental map changes then you might be a subordinate meeting mm -hmm. your boss Again, your behavior changes. You might have to work out for a drink with some friends. You step into a role of friends. Your mental map changes. So you don't need a training course for these shifts no. in behavior. You just have a different mental map that influences how you take up your role. I really like that. And it, it, it ties into what I do in coaching where I, I, I don't do a lot of this, but I get into conversations with clients where they're having conflict with perhaps their boss and um, I do a, a technique, an NLP technique called perceptual positioning, which is all about getting a perspective from yourself, getting a perspective from the boss, and then getting a perspective from a bystander. And, and it's a way of almost mental mapping a different perspective. And through that different lenses, you create insights, understanding, and then ultimately an action plan comes out of that. And, and it's interesting when I do the process with a client, I don't tell them at all what to do. A, they, they know better themselves from their observations, mm -hmm. but actually at the end of that process, they come away with, I know, I know, I know to solve this with my boss because he thinks this, he thinks this, I'm doing this, I'm going to change this, change it. And, then, and, it's, and it's the same thing by getting yourself into the branch, like then example, seeing it from a different perspective, your um, understanding is just completely enlightened and uh, and it's very simple and it sounds really obvious but as you say it, people don't, don't do it they don't they send them on a training course and you can't do that you've got to then do this rewire and as you do the rewire in the, in, in your mind therefore it changes behavior i like that that's really good yeah. that's powerful and sometimes you think it's the right role like i was speaking with somebody recently who was promoted to role of manager but she was still taking up the role of individual achiever so running <laughs> up that hill and nobody's behind her so you say well you're not an individual achiever anymore that's you know you're actually a mobilizer mm. the role of mobilizer is different to role of individual achiever and it was just like the light bulb went on oh gosh i'm still taking up that role as if i were <laughs> a solo operator an individual achiever so just the subtle yeah from achiever to mobilizer was incredibly empowering and often 
in that situation, we'd intervene with personality testing and we'd do mm. you know, lots of coaching. And actually, sometimes it's as subtle as a, a reframe. Yeah, and no, that's right. I think when people get promoted from, yeah, to a team leader of some form, uh, they do need to change their, their mental map because it, it's very different. It's a different role. And I think sometimes they still operate, as you're saying, that on their own and it's not quite like yeah. that anymore. It's very different. And, and it, not in real time. They're operating with the old GPS system. <laughs> <laughs> you know? we, we need an update. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. Update. Yes. That's fantastic. Well, what, time is whizzing by, as it always does on these. Uh, we're already nearly half an hour in. That's brilliant. Oh, wow. um, so, yeah, just I suppose just one last thing. What, what one sort of, I guess one sort of, I guess, parting um, thought or advice you want to share as just before we end this sort of um, interview? Yeah, I would be encouraging people to think about their dual roles. You have a role to run the business and you have a role to change and adapt the business. And often we have this one toolkit. We know how to run the operations. We know how to run. But encourage people to equip yourselves with the toolkit to adapt and to change your business. That is emerging as a massive big need and uh, encourage you to step into that role, educate yourself, get get yourself a toolkit. Um, if you're interested in, in um, my book, I'd be delighted, you know, for you to, to delve into some of my, my uh, discoveries. The Insider's Guide to Culture Change is, is there if you're interested in, in learning more. And where can people find that? Um, on Amazon. Amazon is probably one of the best places or, you know, it's on, in all the usual online and hopefully it's in the bookstores as well. I haven't been in a bookstore since I've been <laughs> 111 days here in, in my state of Victoria in Australia. Oh, brilliant. I really do thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your insights. And, um, again, I pray uh, success for your your book uh, there's a lot of great wisdom in there uh, and it's not only from a an outsider as as your book's all about the insider you're doing this stuff on a daily basis so yeah thank you for coming on thank you very much julian it's been a pleasure if you like this episode then please do subscribe do share with your friends and do check out other episodes in the series if you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.